The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five investors ready to slam the book closed on January and what has been a rough month for their money. So where do we go from here? While stocks fall, oil on the rise this year, and it's another big week for Russia and OPEC. The U.S. Security Council will publicly discuss the Ukraine situation today. Monday morning deal news as one big cloud computing company is set to go private in a massive transaction. Spotify CEO pledging to do more to fight COVID misinformation as more musicians pull their songs in protest to the platform. And Super Bowl 56 is set. And it's like the 1980s all over again as the Rams and yes, the Cincinnati Bengals will face off in L.A. It is Monday, January 31st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you. Hope you had a great weekend. Let us get going and get check on your Monday money after the wild ride that we've had. I was going to say last week, but I guess it's been a wild ride so far in all of 2022. By the way, last week, the Dow had its biggest weekly spread from its highs to its lows in more than a year. With the monster rally on Friday, most indexes actually ended the week higher. Kind of hard to believe, right? But they did. And right now, we're not getting a lot of help. Futures, maybe I shouldn't jinx it. They're actually fairly calm right now. In fact, we are seeing a mixed trade. NASDAQ futures are up a bit. Dow futures down just a bit. You got a lot of earnings this week. They'll probably be the primary focus, along with continued tension over Russia. You've got the OPEC meeting tomorrow as well. So on this final day, this January 48th, here's where we stand so far on the year. The Russell 2000 small caps, they've gotten smaller. They're down 12.5% this year. The NASDAQ 100, it's lost 11% this month. The S&P 500 and the Dow are faring a little better, but overall, it has been a pretty brutal month. Now, as goes January, so goes the year. You hope not. All right, let's hit oil. It's had a great year. By the way, crude oil prices, they're on the move a tick higher, but we're down a little bit from our peak overall. Hey, there's bonds. They're not doing much, but the bond yields are up slightly. In the oil market this year, they have soared. And a reminder, and I'll say for the third time already in like one minute of the show, OPEC will meet tomorrow. We'll see if these higher prices press that group to increase its planned output. Remember, they're on pace to add 400,000 barrels a day every month until they get back to pre-COVID levels. They have stuck with that. The price of oil has risen. We are creeping back toward 88 bucks, and we are over 90 in the European trade. Natural gas, by the way, had a big week as well last week. I'm sorry to say your heating bills are probably going to go up if they have not already. All right, let's go now around the world. Markets in mainland China and South Korea were closed for Lunar New Year's Eve, 
Well, Hong Kong and Singapore, they closed early. Still, we got a lot going on. Juliana Tattlebaum is out of the living room, back in the London newsroom. <laughs> and, she, and, she, and she joins us now. Juliana, it's good to see you back in front of the big wall. Uh, Brian, it's good to be back. A much more exciting backdrop than my living room. Um, well, Brian, I am, have been welcomed back this morning to the studio by a strong start to the trading session. We've got green across the board after last week's a difficult week for European markets. We ended nearly 2% lower, the worst weekly performance since late November. And this morning, the gains are broad-based. We do have Germany and Italy out in front, some political relief in Italy um, with some expectation that political stability will be preserved for some time after uh, President Mattarella over there was re-elected for a second term. Here in the UK, FTSE 100 lagging a little bit, up about 0.1%, but worth noting that the FTSE 100 is the clear outperformer when we look back at the month of January. The FTSE 100 in firmly in positive territory while the rest of Europe has traded lower. From a sector perspective this morning, we are seeing um, technology shares outperform that basket of stocks up 2.7%. On the downside, some selling and basic resources travel and leisure. Oil and gas also underperforming. Uh, now, it's a big week for central banks here in Europe. We've got the Bank of England on Thursday with economists increasingly expecting the Bank of England to uh, engage in the first back-to-back -back rate rises that we've seen since 2004 when it meets on Thursday. And then we've got the European Central Bank as well, where Madame Lagarde, the president of the ECB, is expected to reiterate that the economic situation is different in the euro area than it is in the United States and here in the U.K. Brian, we'll hand it back over to you. All right, Juliana Tatabom, thank you very much. Good seeing you. All right, now, some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau joining us now with those. Good morning and happy Monday, Silvana. Happy Monday to you, Brian. Good morning. Spotify announcing it will add content advisories to any material mentioning COVID. This comes as the music streaming service faces backlash from its decision to continue airing the Joe Rogan podcast. Musicians, including Neil Young, Joni Mitchell and Bruce Springsteen, have all boycotted Spotify, pulling their music off the service. In a statement yesterday, Joe Rogan acknowledged his show has grown into what he called an out-of-control juggernaut and said he would offer more balanced perspectives in the future. In deal news this morning, Citrix is reportedly near an agreement to be taken private. Reports say Elliott Management's private equity arm and Vista Equity Partners are near a deal to pay $104 a share for the software company or about $13 billion. And Kathy Wood is buying more Robinhood. Her ARK Investment Management purchased more than 2.4 million shares in the brokerage Friday. The firm is already a top shareholder. Robinhood stock dropped below $10 a share at one point during Friday's session following disappointing guidance. Brian? Silvana, we'll see you in a bit. <laughs> Thank right. you very much. Sounds good. All right. All right. Now let's get back to the markets and your money. And would you maybe like to supersize that rate hike for just another quarter? Well, over the weekend, Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic made some potential market waves by interviewing with the Financial Times and saying that it is possible the Federal Reserve could raise rates by a full half percent at the March meeting if inflation remains high. Bostic is speaking to his call for three quarter point increases this year with the first in March, but he does add that every option is on the table at every meeting. So let's talk about that and the macro setup right now and bring in Mark Hayfley. He is Chief Investment Officer at UBS Global Wealth Management. 
Uh, Mark, it's good to see you. We need your guidance. It's been a rough year so far. Uh, we'll start with the Federal Reserve. A, do you think they could do that, raised by a half percent in March? And B, if they did, would it matter? Does it matter to you how and when they raise rates? Well, ultimately, what's going to matter is when we re-enter this period of more normalized growth, is that because uh, inflation comes down and the, and the picture improves on its own, or it's forced by the Fed? What they do with one meeting is not going to matter, but certainly if they go out with a start at, at 50 basis points, I think we're going to see a little bit more volatility ahead. But again, as you said, the main message they've put out is that everything is on the table. They're going to remain flexible. And I think that's why the market keyed off things. You know, last Friday, it was about earnings, and it was also about this employment cost index coming in below expectations. So that inflation is what is key. Yeah, you do wonder what, what inflation is and how it's going to play out, Mark. I mean, how do you see the whole thing, though? Listen, we, we care about Fed rate hikes. If you're borrowing money, want to get a mortgage, I get it. They matter to the stock market, I get it. Probably the the tapering or, or the reduction of the balance sheet might be more important uh, than the rate hikes, at least in the near term, we'll see. What are you advising, though, clients to do right now? Because all of a sudden, we're kind of facing this uncertain world, at least as far as the United States goes, where we're down you know, 7 to 10% on the major averages in just 21 trading days. Well, I think that the most important thing is for investors not to panic over this period. We're trying to put it in context and say, look, we've had a period where the 10-year rate has risen very quickly, and that tends to cause a pullback in the stock market when it rises that quickly. But we're also in a period where, you know, leading up to and in the six months after the Fed starts to hike rates, that's not necessarily bad for equities because it's a signal that growth remains strong and all that the Fed does happens with a lag. So there, there's probably still some room for appreciation into the end of the year, and that's a key message for clients. Quietly, the European markets have done better on average than the U.S. markets, despite the energy crisis there and some other concerns. Are you more bullish on Europe or maybe other parts of the world than you are in the U.S. right now, Mark? Well, I think this is really a time where you have to go more into sectors and regions. And we do like Europe more, and we've had that on for some time because it is more levered into global growth and that cyclical pickup that we think is going to happen out of Omicron. So, uh, you know, we're looking at the Eurozone, we're looking at energy and commodities right now, and a little bit more on value. Uh, as we start to, we think there's still going to be global growth into this year, and that's where we would want to play it. Global growth, energy, commodities. It's a different world this year. Mark Hayfley, we really appreciate you getting up early. Mark, thank you very much. Have a great day. Take care. All right, we have got a lot more to do, folks. And when we come back, more on Russia and how the U.S. Senate could be days away from a deal on sanctions. What this could mean for everything from energy to the auto sector. Stay tuned. 
Very busy hour still ahead. Futures, they're mixed. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. The U.S. and Russia are preparing for a diplomatic confrontation of sorts at a U.N. Security Council meeting today. Our ambassador to the United Nations saying the event will give Russia the opportunity to, quote, explain themselves regarding Ukraine. Meantime, the top Democrat and Republican on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee say they want to move forward this week with a bill to sanction Russia. Let's bring in now Daniel Tannenbaum. He is partner at Oliver Wyman. He's an expert on sanctions, been on the show many times. Daniel, it's good to have you back on. Uh, first off, can you kind of lay out what the threat is? We know Russia's on the border of Ukraine. By the way, they've been there uh, for a long time now. This is not a new thing. And they invaded Crimea in 2014, ironically, well, during the Winter Olympics in Sochi. What do you see as they perceived risk level right now? Thanks, Brian. It's good to be back. Um, I think you know, this is, to be clear, a crisis of, of Russia's own creation. They are claiming that the West is infringing on their security and have moved troops accordingly to the border with Ukraine, um, about 120,000, with the anticipated threat that they're looking to potentially sack the country. I think at this point, you know, this is not the first time we've seen a buildup like this. Obviously, 2014 with Crimea uh, being annexed uh, last year, there was a movement of troops to the border that was pushed back. It really does seem that President Putin is looking to exert some sort of a concession to play to the domestic audiences in Russia uh, to pull the troops back. And I think he's come so far at this point that he really cannot leave the border without achieving something that he can at least spin domestically as a win. Do you think there's any sanction that we could do that would dissuade him from doing what he may or may not already want to do? So I think this is one of the greatest examples of, of multilateralism being back in terms of the U.S. and its allies coming together on joint packages, whether it's related to financial sector restrictions, um, restrictions on trading Russian bonds, um, Nord Stream 2 sanctions, oligarch sanctions, there's a fairly large menu of sanctions that have been threatened. And they've only been threatened at this point, really to not give the Russians any justification calling the sanctions an aggression to further invade into Ukraine again. 
So this is one of those tense moments. You can't impose sanctions because that could give the Russians justification to move in. That being said, and, and the president of, of Russia or of Ukraine takes this position, what good are sanctions if you impose them after Russia moves into Ukraine, as we saw what happened with Crimea in 2014? So, I mean, these are fairly significant restrictions that have been threatened that would really cut Russia further off from the global economy. But you know, sanctions have not had a great track record of changing President Putin's behavior. Yeah, he's been willing to have the Russian economy and maybe the Russian people suffer for what he wants to do. Russia, though, they need access to Western capital. They need access to U.S. dollars. Is there a way, and, and if so, describe it to us, Daniel, where we could make that hard enough that it might change his mind if it needs changing? So what we're seeing now, and there's been talk of threatening Cut off, cutting off the Russian economy from SWIFT. I don't think that's going to be an avenue that'll happen because essentially any legal business, any legal commerce that's allowed to occur between the Russia, between Russia and any other country, no one would be able to get paid for their goods or services. I think the focus is on significantly curtailing the ability for the major Russian banks to have access to the global economy, designating some of the major banks. Um, on the U.S. And, and EU and U.K. sanctions lists would essentially ban them from any sort of activity. Um, these are fairly significant. I think also as you continue to look for this energy availability to potentially supplement uh, Russian energy access um, just further takes away the leverage that Russia has, especially now that you see the Europeans willing to shutter Nord Stream 2 uh, before it even gets going is an access pipeline of, of energy to the West, to Europe. Yeah, and that's probably ultimately what this is all about. They're looking to get that thing. It's finished. They just want it up and running and sort of even more permanently tying themselves to the, uh, to the German energy market. Daniel Tannenbaum, we really appreciate your views, Daniel. Have a great day. Take care. All right. Well, while most of the world is starting to work toward living with COVID, not China, we have a live report coming up from Beijing on the extreme policies there and how they are starting to wear on that population. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, welcome or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Hope you're having a good Monday morning. Well, while many people here still argue about things like kids wearing masks to school, it is nothing compared to China. You've probably heard about their COVID zero policies, but you may not know what that actually means and what it's really like living with them. 
Well, let's show you. Yuna Shun joining us now live from Beijing with the answers. We have heard of entire cities, Eunice, going on lockdown. That's right, Brian. Well, you know, while China enjoys a low infection rate as a country, it's the individuals who suffer. For Lunar New Year, this video has gone viral with rare criticism of Chinese authorities. A grandfather vents frustration over a last-minute decision to tighten controls for his city, forcing his grandchildren who just showed up at the train station for the holidays to turn back. Just as most of the world is weary living with COVID, Chinese are worn out living with Beijing's policy of zero COVID. Lines for COVID tests mandated by local authorities now the norm. First, we have to stand in this line to register. Then we're going to go to another window to pick up the kit before heading to a third window for the test. The whole process will take us about one and a half hours today. Not only testing, but constant tracking is taxing too. Most places, even cabs, require you register your ID and contact info through a health code on your mobile phone to get in. Drugstores share your personal purchases of any medication for fever, cough, sore throat, or infection with the authorities. If you buy those meds, you receive this government alert, so your health code won't work until you go for another COVID test. Sudden lockdowns of buildings and late-night visits by authorities rounding up residents for COVID tests are becoming common, too. Property staff are being instructed by local authorities to knock on people's doors or to put up notices to make sure people get tested. This household has already been told to get tested twice in three days. Online, people complain about children who test positive being taken to COVID hospitals without their parents. Chinese authorities argue that these tough measures are necessary for a country with 1.4 billion people. At the same time, though, the leadership is starting to show signs that it is concerned about the grumbling. The top health authority over the weekend had set up a public messaging board, Brian, where people can complain about local officials who they say are blocking them from going home for the holidays for this Lunar New Year holiday. These are incredible stories, Eunice. And I listen, I understand that that there's things that you cannot talk about. This, the broadcast that we're doing right now is probably being monitored. We've had it monitored. We've had it blacked out in China for things less than this. So I, I'm not going to put you too much on the spot. Uh, I understand they're watching. You have your mask on outside. You're doing all the right things. Is there any resistance? Uh, do you see anything in, in media, alter- not, not state media, alternative media, social media, Uh, You know, I know it's an authoritarian regime. Are are people pushing back at all? Do they have the ability to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, People are pushing back. Uh, There are um, definitely voices of frustration that we see on social media where um, somebody will post a particularly egregious uh, situation. Um, and involving, for example, a hospital and not being allowed to go in, losing a baby, uh, for example. And then uh, there's a lot of reaction online about that. But then eventually that does get censored. And um, one of the reactions that we do see, though, is that local officials um, often lose their jobs. So there is some we're starting to see some reaction uh, from authorities, but it tends to be the lower level um, politicians who end up um, you know, getting into trouble. We, we don't hear much about the Chinese vaccination program, Sinovac, Sinopharm. You guys have a different vaccine 
than we do. I've heard mm-hmm. some stuff. And again, this is all like it's hard to get good information out of the Chinese government. How is the vaccine seen as working? I mean, this is the point of the vaccine. We know it's not going to stop the spread. Everybody right. I know is vaccinated and it's gotten COVID, but it's supposed to reduce the severity of the outcome, which thankfully it appears to be doing. What's the Chinese vaccination situation? Well, the situation is that there is an effort to try to create different boosters, like an mRNA booster that could be added to the Chinese vaccines that are already out there. Uh, The population is about 90 percent or so uh, vaccinated, according to official numbers. But but what's interesting is that um, even though the Chinese government will point out that, you know, these tough measures are needed, Uh, for um, a population of this size, there are other people who say that it's not only the number of people, but it's the the lack of medical resources to be able to handle all those people. If you had, say, percentage-wise, the same number of people who got sick from Omicron, for example. And then there's also um, health experts um, who would say that the vaccination program here is just not on par with the U.S. uh, or many other Western nations. They won't tell you that publicly, but they'll tell you that privately. And so if you think about how even though officially uh, the vast majority of the population here is vaccinated, uh, we don't really know how effective those Chinese vaccines are are against Omicron. So you could potentially see a huge number of deaths with like the, the healthcare system being completely overwhelmed if China steps away from the zero COVID policy. So, you know, the Chinese authorities are, and a lot of health experts say that the Chinese authorities need some type of off-ramp, um, but so far there isn't really one um, I know. immediately um, obvious. And that's it. Yeah, that, that it's, not, it's not the policies as well as the off-ramp that leaders everywhere, here, there, wherever, have to say, here's what it's going to take to change some of these policies. I can't imagine your kid gets a sore throat in Shanghai, and you're afraid to go to the pharmacy because if you buy the sore throat medication, you're you're popped up on a government list and you've got to go wait in line to get another test with probably an asymptomatic positive. It's just incredible. Eunice Yoon, I know you're going through a lot. We love you for it. Thank you, Eunice. Be well. Of course, the Winter Olympics are starting in a few days as well. All right, let's get now a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with those Good Morning Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. A brutal weekend blizzard slammed the Northeast. The extreme weather is being blamed for at least four deaths in New York. At least a foot of snow fell from Maryland to Maine. Thousands are still without power in Massachusetts, mostly on Cape Cod and the South Shore. It was the seventh largest snowstorm ever recorded in Boston. North Korea conducted its largest missile test in years, according to South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff. The intermediate range ballistic missile flew for 30 minutes and reach an altitude of 1,200 miles before it fell into the ocean. North Korea released these photos of the launch. The U.S. has condemned the test, which is North Korea's sixth so far this year. Super Bowl 56 is set after a conference championship Sunday for the ages. They're down and one. Stafford, end zone cup, got it, touchdown Rams. The Rams erased a 10-point deficit and took the lead late with field goals. One last chance for the 49ers, but Jimmy Garoppolo's pass was picked off. The Rams win 20-17 and will become the second team 
to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. For 13-year veteran quarterback Matthew Stafford, a Super Bowl appearance was a long time coming. I, um, you know, I feel blessed to be able to play in this league for as long as I have. Um, but I sure am happy for this opportunity for not only myself, but really so many guys in that locker room that deserve this too. The defending AFC champion Chiefs had an 18-point lead in the first half, but the upstart Bengals had tied the game up by the start of the fourth quarter. Even up at 24 heading into overtime, the Chiefs had the ball first only for Patrick Mahomes to throw a costly interception on the third play of OT. Will that give the Bengals the opportunity to end the game on any score? 31 yards. McPherson. And Cincinnati is heading to the Super Bowl. So the Bengals take it 27-24, preventing the Chiefs from going to a third straight Super Bowl. And Bengals fan partied like it is 1989. The team looks to bring the Lombardi Trophy to Cincinnati for the first time ever in their first Super Bowl appearance in 33 years. So it will be a showdown in SoFi Stadium for Super Bowl 56. Matthew Stafford of the Rams battle Joe Burrow and the Bengals in 13 days right here on NBC. I don't know, Brian, if you took the next day off, if you can stay up and watch watch all the action but either way i mean late night for us from last night anyway we got to stay up and just kind of plow through the day so happy for cincinnati i was watching francis my wife my wife went to high school in dayton not cincinnati but close and we're watching she's like i haven't heard much about the bengals since i was in high school i was like because they haven't done anything since you were in high school so i'm so happy for cincinnati awesome all right yeah, we'll see if Joe Kernan, by the way, the host of Squawk Boxes, he's a Cincinnati guy. We'll see if he's there in 30 minutes, probably just waking up. All right, coming up, we have got a Monday mystery chart. Look at that. It's ugly. One sector ETF. It's down 25% since September. It's off a quarter of its value in four months. And a frequent guest of this show calls it the most oversold in 20 years. What is that? We'll show you coming up. Stick around. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning. It's 534. Let's get a check on your market futures because we're actually seeing, fingers crossed, a bit of a kind of a calm morning. It is the final day of January. Thank goodness. But was there any month as long as this month? I don't think so. Anyway, it's the final day of January. Thank goodness. And maybe we're going to end the month on a bit of a relaxed note. Has been anything relaxed but for the markets. We are seeing NASDAQ futures up a tick, Dow futures, they're down triple digits, but on a, on a percentage basis, it's not much at all, maybe one-tenth of one percent. All right, it's been a roller coaster ride. We actually ended the week higher last week, but a rough start to the year. Okay, if you're not keeping score, don't worry, that's why we're here. Here's how things look so far for some of the major averages. That's just this year. Small caps, whacked. Russell 2000 down 12.5%. The NASDAQ not much better, down over 11%. The S&P off 7 And the Dow has held up, quote, the best. And I say that tongue-in-cheek with a decline of 4.5%. But a rough ride, maybe a, a new week, new month, who knows, will change that. All right, going into the break, we teased you, as we like to say in TV, with a mystery chart. It is a major sector ETF. It's lost a quarter of its value in just four months. The answer, you knew it. It's the IBB Biotech ETF. Yeah, and if you haven't paid attention, it's gotten crushed. 
Matt Maley out with a note of the weekend and Miller Tabak saying it is the most oversold he has ever seen this in 20 years. Not saying scream it out and go buy the thing, but he's just noting it is wildly oversold on many different technical metrics. So the IBB is one to watch in the weeks and months ahead. So with the NASDAQ and many widely owned technology and clearly biotech stocks down big this year, what's it going to take to turn it all around? Is it going to be earnings? Is it going to be something else? Well, speaking of earnings, you got Facebook, Amazon, and Google all set to release their numbers this week. Let's dive in a little bit deeper. Joining us now is James Chalkmock. He is partner at Clockwise Capital. Uh, James, great to have you back on. Uh, to what do you ascribe the weakness that we have seen in tech this year? And to what do you think will it take to turn said weakness around, if anything? Sure, I think it comes down to two things. I think the first one is a very simple one, which is I think that a high PE multiple stocks just got crushed. You know, as algorithmic and momentum-based traders, um, you know, hammer those names on uh, on the downside. And then uh, the more sophisticated reason is because I don't think that people fully um, can uh, discern exactly where revenue growth will land after we anniversary all of the the COVID uh, bumps that we saw. Uh, for these tech companies, because like you saw with Netflix, for example, you saw this dramatic pull forward in demand, but then much slower growth this past quarter. So where do things land on a normalized basis? Our position is that everything will revert back to the trend line um, back where we were before pre-COVID. But I think a lot of investors perhaps are thinking that the slower growth that we're seeing as of late um, may be the new normal. You know, and we, we like to look at day-to-day moves on CNBC, and some people criticize mm-hmm. us for it, and I get that. And that's, fair, that's actually a very fair point, because if we pull back and we look at five years, and I don't want to say five years right. is long-term, but I guess these days, James, it's considered, <laughs> I'm a long-term investor, been in the market for two years. The NASDAQ has more than doubled in five years. I mean, if you yeah. just bought the triple Qs and let it ride, you've made a boatload of money. I mean, a pullback mm-hmm. should not only be expected, in my view, I've been doing this 26 years, it might, it should be welcomed. Yeah, I, I think, you know, 15, 20% drawdowns are not out of the question, uh, especially in midterm years. You know, you do see more elevated drawdowns. But I think the, the challenge now is the, um, the, the speed of the drawdowns and the and and how strong they are um you know i mean what we saw yeah. what would happen over the course of a period of many 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 months happens now over a period of six weeks so it's very very difficult to to position portfolios uh for that when it, it, it's happening um in the blink of an eye but we think and i'm positively and optimistically speaking that you know we are near a bottom here um because of the fact that you know, the drawdowns that we've seen in some of the highest quality names out there, 40, 50, 60 percent in a matter of weeks, uh, we think is is rightly oversold. And one of the we're fundamental bottom up yeah. investors. But one of the technicals we look at is the Nasdaq to its move 200 day moving average. And that is only a few percentage off of, of where it was uh, that ratio from where it was at the covid bottom. So. You know, we think that there's an opportunity here for 2022 to actually be a good year because these tech earnings and their, their sales prowess 
will move forward independent of what happens with rates and the economy and, and the Treasury's balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet. It's what it's well said, an optimistic view. And we talk a lot in the show about the idea of market structure. And that goes to the algorithmic mm-hmm. traders. It goes to the heavy options trading. Everything just moves faster than it used to. And it comes back faster often, too. James Chalkbuck, mm-hmm. really appreciate your views, James. Have a great day and a great week. Thank you. Still bullish on the Thanks. market. All right. All right, you're very welcome. All right, coming up, the big business behind the NFL's big game and why the Bengals may be a big help to one Best Buy. Can I use any more bees? What is this, Wordle? All right, plus, the real question of the weekend, will he or won't he retire, that is, conflicting reports about whether Brady is hanging up the cleats. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Well, at least in football, it's kind of feeling like the 1980s all over again. You've got the Bengals and the Rams set up in the Super Bowl. And by the way, a very sweet Bengals-Rams parlay that <clears throat> may have paid off for some people over the weekend. But it's not just the game of football itself that made news in football. With some back and forth over the future of one Tom Brady as well. Let's bring in Jabari Young, CBC.com sports business reporter, uh, Jabari, kind of interesting because Adam Schefter, who's, who's money, he's the ESPN's main guy. He breaks news every week. He came out and said Tom Brady was retiring. The website led with the story. Then I guess reps for Brady heard that and said, we're not sure yet. What exactly is going on with the Tom Brady drama? Well, good morning, Brian. You know, and, and what's going on is this, this is one of those things that, um, you know, maybe maybe people jump the gun, right? Maybe we all jump the gun. We assume that Tom Brady, and I always went into the season thinking that this would be his last year. It's the same way we thought Ben Roethlisberger would retire after this year. And it's okay if he did. I spent Sunday afternoon, Brian, just kind of going back and looking at Tom Brady's interviews just to kind of capture moments in his career. One of the things that stood out to me was his 2015 interview. This is after the Flakegate. And he seemed at ease. He seemed calm. Uh, but you still knew he had more to do. But, you know, you look at his resume and you think, man, the man is 44 years old. He's first in pass downs, pass touchdowns. He's first in pass yards. He's, he's right behind Peyton Manning and come back and game winning drives. He's won seven Super Bowls, appeared in 10. What more can Tom Brady do? Yeah. And I don't think he can do much more. And, and so, you know, you maybe look at this as the end. And if, it's, if it is the end, he deserves to come out and say it the way he wants to say it. This man has given us and, and entertained us. This is sports entertainment, right? He's entertained us for so many years, and it's the one thing that I would think that people want to do, I know I want to do, is give him the freedom to decide when it's time to hang it up. But, you know, at age 44, he's a dad. Uh, you know, you kind of get the sense that maybe he's ready to just transfer and cross over into that fatherhood and business the same but way nothing, the yeah, we're but trying to. Nothing has been set yet. We'll see if no. he comes out and confirms that ESPN report or maybe sticks around another year. Either way, we have the numbers up. On the big wall there at CNBC, Jabari, about his earnings. And, and I say this with love and affection and jealousy. You can't watch <laughs> a, a commercial series on TV and not see Peyton Manning. He's in some kind yeah. of commercial for chips or insurance or, or some show, whatever it is. Peyton Manning is everywhere. God bless him. He's banking coin. Tom Brady's got to be getting up there with Peyton Manning type earnings. Or has he already surpassed Peyton Manning? You know, I think he's getting up there with it. You know, I think Peyton, listen, we all know it's the sheriff. I mean, he was one of the NFL favorite quarterbacks, right? There's a narrative in the NFL that once Peyton Manning retired, 
ratings kind of went down a little bit because we all love to watch Peyton Manning on Sundays. But Tom Brady's right there, and he's going to be right there. You know, one of his more interesting deals is that FTX, you know, the, the crypto platform that he's invested in, him and his wife, you know, I think that he's aligned himself with the future. But, you know, when Tom Brady uh, goes with a company, he meets with the CEO to, to kind of look and see what is going on, what do you have in mind, what is the future. So he's very, very detailed, the same that he was on the field. I think he'll be off the field, and he'll be just great in endorsement. Fanatic, uh, which you just mentioned, I think he'll be fine. You know, and, and listen, one of the yeah. things that I think people want to when look, look, read over those articles, one of the things that may stand out is his interest in politics. Do we see Tom Brady maybe run for office one day? A U.S. senator, possibly? I mean, can he gather the votes? Win. That? I'd vote for him, would you? Can he gather the votes? He's got, he probably has a senator right now. We just don't even know about it. He's like a stealth senator. Hey, Jabari, very yeah. quickly, people are going to moan and groan. Cincinnati, nobody cares about Cincinnati except for Joe Kernan. I think it's going to be good for ratings. I know people say it's a small market. So what? They haven't been in the yeah. Super Bowl in 40 years. It's a yeah, big deal. Listen, Finally, it's some new names, new blood. After, I, was, I was rooting for them, Brian. I wanted the Cincinnati Bengals to win. I was getting tired of the Chiefs to win. I was rooting I for by seven and a half. To, to, you know, two years removed from a college championship, and now he's going to the Super Bowl. I mean, what more can you root for? And then you got the L.A. Rams. They hated L.A. Rams with Stan Kroenke. I know St. Louis ain't rooting for the Rams right now. They're going to be rooting for the Bengals. And I think the Bengals, this is a great story. I mean, this is a team that, you know, historically, we expect the Bengals to come up short, whether it's in the regular season or the playoffs. The fact that they're in the Super Bowl now, I think it's a great story. I think this is going to be a great run to a great NFL yeah. season, especially over the last few weeks of the playoff games we've seen. So, go for And, and I know, listen, I know... I- and by the way, that I, listen, I grew up in L.A., okay? People don't care about football there. I'm a Chargers fan. I'm man enough to admit it. It's tough. There's going to be more orange and black in the, quote, home field for the Rams than blue and yellow. You mark my word on that, Jabari. Everybody in Cincinnati has booked the two flights out of the city today. Jabari, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, get some skyline chili and wake up. Right on deck. Did you think Cole was all but gone. Think again. we got some surprising new power stats in your morning RBI. We'll be joined by Tiffany McGee as well. Her views on the market. Maybe some, some under-the-radar tech plays for you. Stick around. Well, today's most random but interesting thing is about power. Not political power. Power power, as in electricity and how the world makes it, because the International Energy Agency is out with a fascinating new report on global electricity supply and demand. Yes, there are fascinating reports about that topic. And it is interesting and eye-opening. The Paris-based group found that overall global electricity demand surged by 6% last year. Trust me, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. In fact, it's the biggest year-over-year jump since the financial crisis. So how much is the world fueling and how these big power needs. Believe it or not, much of it is coming from that stuff. Coal, look at this. Here's the year-over-year growth in electricity generation around the world. Natural gas, up 2%. Nuclear, it's up 3.5%. Renewables, they did pretty good. They're growing. They're up 6%. But the biggest jump of all was coal. Coal use up 9% around the world. That's right, coal. It meant more than half of the total increase in global power demand last year. Simply incredible. It also probably explains why CO2 emissions from power generation also rose 7%. But that's not all from the report. What we have been talking about around Europe's energy crisis came home to roost last year. 
the IEA adding this nugget, quote, average wholesale electricity prices in the fourth quarter of last year were more than four times as high as their 2015 to 2020 average. Four times. And it's all because parts of gas soaring in part due to Russia. You got high coal prices because of China. Russia, China, coal. What year is this? It sounds like a real cold war. Random, but interesting. All right, back down to the broader markets and your money. Joining us now is Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO, Pivotal Advisors, and a CNBC contributor. Uh, You're not laying all your clients' money on coal stocks, I assume, Tiffany. So tell us, my dear, what are you doing? What should we be doing? What's been a, a a nervous year so far? It has. It has. And I think especially coming off of the year that we just had. Right. So when you look at uh, how we ended um, 2021, 70 record highs in the S&P 500, uh, the sixth best year for U.S. stocks since 1990 and really this three year stretch of double digit returns. So when you compare that to how we started the year, um, it really just, you know, should give you a lot of anxiety. However, um, you know, even though things have drastically changed in the markets, the fundamentals have pretty much stayed the same. So we've got strong, we have strong corporate earnings, even though the market has not really been rewarding those, uh, those great earnings reports. The consumer balance sheet is really, really strong. Um, and so we really have a strong fundamental backdrop. But I think going forward, you know, I think investors really need to understand that this is not necessarily like a buy the dip game. This is really a planning game, right? So it's really an asset allocation game. Um, so thinking about how you want to position portfolios, there are a couple of things that I'm looking at. Um, the first thing is alternative investments. So if you have traditional uh, equities and fixed income in your portfolio, uh, right now your equity position is probably you know a little bit down. Um, but adding things like alternative investments, so I like uh, um, industrial REITs here, right? So think about um, all the warehouses that Amazon needs to get your your um, items to you uh, next day, or in some cases, same day. So things like that, I think, are really um, are, are are really um, interesting. Um, the industrial okay. rates also have a low correlation to equities as well. Go ahead. Does that mean like a, a warehouse type situation, an industrial REIT? Like, is that is that something you buy yep. you know, a company that makes warehouses, warehouses or something like that, Tiffany? Absolutely. Yep. Um, companies that that are in the business of owning warehouses and renting them out to all of these e-commerce companies like an Amazon, um, like all these other other companies that are shipping all of our products, because now everyone is is ordering online. And so what those REITs uh, do, number one, they have a low correlation to equities. Number two, they deliver a higher tax equivalent yield than stocks and bonds. So they, they actually kind of work double duty um, and they can also be used as a good alternative to fixed income as well and really good in the high inflationary environment, yep. which we are in right now. Make me an honest man, Tiffany. I promised our viewers you had sort of an under-the-radar tech play. We, got, we don't have much time left. PayPal, what oh, makes it nice PayPal, to PayPal, not under the radar. <laughs> not under the radar, but um, you know, consumer demand is really driving mobile payments. Um, and also, uh, just really remember, like, PayPal also owns Venmo. So think about these all these person-to-person, um, you know, money transactions that we're doing right now. Um, I Venmo people at least, you know, uh, at least 
uh, once a week. Um, and so I think this is a good opportunity to buy PayPal at a discount right now. So PayPal is a name that I think a lot of people like, a lot of analysts like, but right now it's on sale. It's down about, I think, like 14% year to date. Um, its high was about, was about three, uh, 310 back yep. in uh, July. So it's a good time. Well, it's not under the radar. If it was, it's no longer under the radar. Tiffany McGee, we appreciate it. Industrial REITs and PayPal always bring the heat. Tiffany, have a great day and a great week. Thanks for getting up early. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. One down, four to go this week, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in to Worldwide Exchange. I will see you here as well tomorrow. Squawk Box, the gang, picking up the coverage next. Have an awesome day. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.